0: Welcome to the Benito Juarez experience. I am Juem Navarro Rivera.
1: And I am Luciana Joshua Gonzalez.
0: And today we are, I wouldn't say celebrating, uh, we are commemorating uh, a day that shall live in infamy. <laughs> and it's uh, last week, it, it was the first year that. Donald Trump won the presidency of the United States of America, and so I think we would like this episode to be a, uh, I think first a check-in in terms of how are we doing in this ten months of the Trump administration that feel like ten years in, in actual time, uh, but also. How how do we feel that the country has changed in in, in ways uh, in the last year, and how and then a, a lot of the big stories that has happened in in and how this presidency has developed over over the last twelve months? Uh, so I, I I anything you want to add, Luciana?
1: So I think that rather than adding something, I think that was a really good overview. So I think it's, I think it'd be good if we just dove right in because we could definitely spend 30 minutes talking about how we feel a year after, um, not, not D-Day, but something not entirely unlike that. It's been a year. Uh, we are Hispanic atheists. Uh, both of our communities have gotten... Um, both our both our ethnicity slash nationality and our like religious or lack thereof group have gotten hammered pretty hard this year. It's been, been a lot.
0: Yes, I mean, I, I think if we want to start with one... I would say, like, how's your... I want to check in with you. Like, how how are you holding up?
1: I'm actually interested in, in, uh, like, current events right now, because right now we see the Republican Party kind of cannibalizing each other, which they have been doing for a year now. But things have gotten even more intense with Roy Moore. Numerous, extremely influential Republicans have demanded that he step down. And I'm not a political scientist, so I'm not sure what that would do. I'm not sure if that means the race would automatically go to the Democrat or if the runner up in, um, I think, Luther Strange. I'm pretty sure that's who the runner up was in that particular race. I'm not sure if he would become the new Republican nominee, which is something that we're probably going to talk about. But these last few weeks, especially the last five days, most especially things have gotten extraordinarily intense for people who've been watching the Republican Party. I pay attention to them. So that's something that I've been watching with a lot of interest. But in addition to that, there's also Puerto Rico, which was, as both of us know, and as both of us have at least mentioned before, pretty much decimated after hurrican- after the two hurricanes that hit it. And those are the things that we haven't talked about that I know we're going to be talking about in the next few episodes. Which is kind of a spoiler, I guess. but also there have been this has just been the year for people who've committed sexual assaults to either out themselves or be outed by other people. Thank goodness for that. Numerous predators have been exposed, not necessarily taken down, but they've been exposed and There's also the rise of white nationalism all over the country, but most especially in the south where I live and also where you live, since you are not super far from Charlottesville. It's just been this has been a whirlwind of a year. I can't believe that a year ago I was in college and that a year ago at this time Donald Trump was only the president elect, not the actual president.
0: Yes. Like I said, it it these year uh i mean 2017 particularly have moving dog years although following your your thoughts on the on the timeline like i think these past few days have moved really really fast uh i think you know the 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 is the rare the, the rarity of good news that have got coming out in the last few weeks uh in terms of like the Virginia and New Jersey elections, like the referendum in Maine, uh, and you know a lot of progressives kind of like getting elected in the in the in the local elections this year in 2017. This, which is an off-election cycle, which usually it's good for conservatives. It, it gives me hope that you know that things are gonna at some point get better although the reaction to it might make things worse in the short term. Uh, but in terms of, I'm going to hit a little bit on what you said before and, and something that I hinted at the beginning, it's, you know, I've seen ch- the changes in the country, like the mood. I, I don't know if you're experiencing it the same way. That I have, uh, even though we don't technically live far from each other. Although it, I think culturally it's very different, uh, but also, you know, that we we have some some age gap in there, and probably affects how we perceive the world. Uh, but you know, I, I've seen so much. Tension in the streets, um, no, and so much negativity. So you know, people willing to insult each other, uh, others uh, more frequently. And I don't know if it's because I am more attuned to it now, or it because it's actually happening. Right, I, I, I'm now more sensitive to to maybe microaggressions or or, or even my surroundings uh, that I was, even during the Bush years. Uh, so that's, that's something I'm not sure how, how it's happening. If, if it's something that you have felt that, you know, people in general are more on their nerves than they have been in recent times.
1: So for me... I lived in Latin America growing up. I lived in Honduras, Colombia, and Panama, all during times of great civil unrest. And the way that I understand that, the way that I experienced that informed my understanding of Latin American history, which is that things in Latin America are slow and stable until all of a sudden they're not. And that that can apply pretty much anywhere, but it's It's most noticeable in Latin America, at least in my experience, because in the United States, I didn't live in the United States during any times of great civil change. The one exception to this was that I lived in the United States during right when Obama became president. But then I lived most of his presidency in Central America. I was here when he was elected. And then about two years later, I moved. And then I came back for the very end of his presidency. So I didn't get to see the effect that that had on estadounidenses in the mainland United States for the most part. I only got to see, I got to see about half of his presidency here and about half of it in Latin America. So it was very interesting to me. But then like, I, I don't know. I think it's because I lived in a liberal college and I lived in a fairly liberal town. Not not only a liberal arts college, but also like a literally liberal university. And on November 9th, when I woke up, the atmosphere was different. So for me, like that was the single most dramatic period of change that I ever that I ever lived in in the United States, because I lived in Honduras shortly after the coup. I moved to Honduras about a year and a half after the coup. and things are still kind of like if you go to Honduras now you can still feel the effects of the coup and it's been 8 years almost yeah it's been about 8 years since the coup which tells you just how dramatic and Honduras election is in 12 days so that's that's something that we're probably going to talk about probably after it happens but that like the way that i feel the way that i felt living in the united states especially in the south reminds me of the way that i felt living there but not quite as dramatic not quite that extreme but it's a similar sensation that i feel when i go outside and i'm not sure if me and my girlfriend especially because my girlfriend looks hispanic and i don't even though we're both hispanic like i'm not sure what's going to happen to us if we come across the police or even if we come across like a group of people that we are going to stereotype because if we don't stereotype We could be putting ourselves in danger and it's not people of color that worry us. It's, it's white people. We're never entirely sure what to expect. And then that really sucks. I don't like that feeling. I wish that I could tell myself that that's a bad thing to think and that I'm making myself more unsafe thinking that, but I know that I'm not. And it's because there has been a cultural shift in this country. People who feel people who have prejudices, hatred towards other people, on kind of all sides, but most especially conservatives who feel this way towards people who disagree with them are feeling empowered now. And it's not, it's not the best kinds of people in all cases. It's the worst kind of people. It's the kind of people who would hurt other people and who would inflict harm on them. And I don't like that. I have to feel paranoid when I go outside.
0: Yeah, uh, I echo that sentiment. Uh, I think it's me, uh, you know, being in the U.S. for uh, the mainland U.S. for 17 years. uh, And living mostly in like university towns for most of those times. uh, Now has been like you know, this sense of you don't know who to trust anymore. Uh and and now, you know, living living in, in my case I live in DC, uh so Washington DC. So you have I have seen the change in the tourism, right? Like uh seeing more like Trumpian tourism, I would say, like MAGA tourism. <laughs> like people with red caps, uh MAGA Red Caps Make America Great Again, uh in downtown, DC near the monuments and stuff like that. Certainly all white, kinda like midwestern looking. Uh and and so like, you know, right now like I don't <laughs> the Washington Nationals are you know, they, they, they went to the postseason this year and everybody was behind him, like, you know, they were pretty popular in town this year. Baseball team, uh, and they have red caps, and so every time I'll see a red cap, like luckily baseball season is over, but I will just freak out. <laughs> I was like, okay, really, do I have to get ready for some encounter here? Uh, until I realize it's a Washington Nationals cap, not a Make America Great Again one. Uh, but I think that's the level of of stress and the level of discomfort that you know we we are living. In these times, um, and it's not a great feeling to have. It is not a great feeling to have. And and as you said, like the people who are empowered are those who who are probably the worst elements in our society. You know, the people who want to create chaos and the ones to want to sow uh, the seeds of hatred. Uh, and so it's a very bad situation to be and talking as a political scientist uh, and one that apart from american politics also like my my second area of focus was comparative politics like we talked a lot and read a lot about you know how bringing your your example of growing up in 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 countries where uh democracy was either non-existence or a very recent phenomenon or something that was in transition uh, we read and we learn a lot about how how fragile these institutions are and 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 how you know liberal democracy in particular it's something that can collapse at any moment but I think not many scholars have thought that that's kind of something that can collapse in the United States. And I think we are seeing the fragility of liberal democracy. Uh, And it's not just a phenomenon in the United States. I mean, this weekend, there was a march of Nazis in Poland, uh, much bigger than Charlottesville. So, I mean, we're seeing a worldwide phenomenon. and something that I have mentioned, I don't remember if in any episode here, but certainly in conversation and in talks, is that, um, you know, there's this question that PRI has asked, asked for the last few years about, uh, particularly, like, thinking about what conservatives are thinking in terms of what was the greatest area era of American life. And a lot of people wants to go back to the 1950s, and then when a lot of people think of making America great again, they think of these 1950s in which, like, you know, black people had no civil rights, and uh, Hispanic people were, like, uh, kicked in the South, and, and maybe, in, like, some urban corners in the Northeast, and nobody cared about them. Uh, and... And women were in their place and not in the labor force. But I think we're actually going back to the 1930s with very low labor protections, nationalism on the rise everywhere, and a very contentious world order. And and seeing, going back to President Trump, I shudder at saying that, uh, who was this weekend hanging out with People like Rodrigo Duterte, the president of uh, Philippines, and Vladimir Putin and all these seriously shady characters that are rising uh, in politics and that he fits right in. It's kind of like really creepy.
1: It's easy for us to talk about the negatives and the negatives are worth talking. And I'm glad that we've devoted a good portion of this episode to the negatives. But it's also important that we talk about the fact that there is a resistance against this. There are are people who are devoted to making sure that our country remains stable. And it's not just the Democrats, thank goodness for that. There are Republican voices who are serving as moderating forces who are at least trying, even if it's for public perception, if nothing else, they're at least making visible attempts to moderate the crazier conservatives. And that's the good thing. But also we've seen that not only is there a resistance to Trump and his policies in terms of the Democrats and even within the Republican Party, there's also a ground swelling of people who want to go out and vote. They're willing to put their money where their mouth is, and they're willing to stop the zanier, more out there Republicans. That's one of the things that happened in Virginia, and it was a lot of different things that came together that made Virginia's, especially uh, their gubernatorial race. I always have the hardest time saying that word, but it's one of the things that made that outcome come true. And it's good for us to acknowledge that it's not just like we, people aren't just feeling this way and doing nothing about it. We're not sitting passively by while our country is being taken over by forces that we don't recognize and by forces that don't care about us. We are actively, combating the influence in ways that matter both in terms of supporting politicians and pushing politicians to take moderating positions and progressive policies but also by going out there and voting for them it's not like there are a whole bunch of people who are very loud but don't go out and vote people are both loud and voting and that's something that we should all be grateful for
0: i agree with you uh if we want to find a, a- a happy part of of this whole period. I I think it, it's even beyond that. Uh, it's you know for for the longest time. And I mean, I I like to talk about this, even though like I've never been. I haven't run for office since I was in college. Uh, so Wait, I'm, did no, you I'm, run I'm,
1: for office?
0: I I run for office in student government. Uh, oh not, okay. Not okay. not official, like n- not as a candidate. I actually never ran for elective government office. Uh, but those UPR University of Puerto Rico, especially in Rio Piedras, those student government uh, elections are kind of nasty. Uh, so you can learn a few things, uh, and a lot of the people who ran against me uh, are now uh, little cronies in the in the government. So. So I can tell you stories. Anyway, but one of the things that, you know, the the reason I wanted to get with this is that at the same time, like a lot of people are now realizing that, you know, it's not just important to talk to elected officials and to complain to them. It's actually important to run for office. and. And I think for a long time you know and and I think of this in in the in the secular humanist, atheist uh, circles that i and i I am also part of that uh especially when when it has come to to issues of science education, uh we have been very good at complaining how dumb our elected officials are, and like you know all these creationists in office. But the fact is that for the longest time, those conservatives have been the ones willing to run for office. I think it partially has to do with a little uh, arrogance in terms of, you know, even if you don't know anything about education, you think you do, and then you run for office in, in that regard. And I think on, on the most progressive side, there is uh, these need for expertise that I'm a you know I'm I'm not the kind of person that should be running for office because I'm not an expert on these things. Uh and I think that has been something that people are less willing to do now. Like I think more people are willing to run for office now. And I think it an example were those twenty seventeen elections that just happened that a lot of people uh, especially like it you know, there's there has been over the years, in recent years, this imbalance between Democrats and Republicans running for office in which Democrats are not fielding candidates in a lot of places that Republicans win by default. And this year, especially in Virginia, was a, speci- uh, was a particular case in which a lot of people ran in places as Democrats where no Democrat had run in years and ended up winning. Uh, and and so I think we're seeing a, more people wanting to get involved uh, in politics and involved in protesting and involved in calling representatives. Uh, that's how Obama, like the Obama Pecare repealed, was killed, right? Like people flooding the the phone lines in in, in the Senate uh, in ways that hadn't happened uh, in recent years. So I, I think that has been. Probably one of the most positive outcomes uh of these of this election, and another one may be something that you also hinted at the beginning like uh which if uh, it's of course something awful like you know all these particularly powerful men taking advantage of mostly women uh but these Uh, awareness and interest in in dealing and solving issues of sexual harassment I think has and sexual assault fortunately has been also a part of of this whole changing mindset like a lot of people are decided that they're not gonna take it anymore Uh, Because now I think a lot of people are seeing what the uh, consequences are of letting build all these small uh, and not-so-small aggressions.
1: That's a very good point. And I think I like to believe that years from now, historians are going to look back on this era and they're going to see that then I was actually just talking with my girlfriend about this in the car uh, when we were coming back from a city that we were visiting earlier today um, and I hope that this marks I hope that 50 years from now historians mark this year in particular as a year where there was massive societal upheaval that forced society to realize that we cannot be indifferent to these things whether, we, whether it's allowing politicians to run unopposed which we shouldn't do we we just shouldn't i i'm very frustrated and very disgusted by the fact especially because i live in north carolina and where my girlfriend's family is from democrats don't run and there's there's no place like in the cities there's no city where a republican doesn't run but there are plenty of places in the country where democrats don't run there are plenty of rural areas where the Democrats have just absolutely given up. And even if it's just to show that there are people who want to give voters a choice, they don't field candidates. They don't run candidates. And you can't, you can't just make a candidate appear out of thin air. That's true. But at the same time, it's so frustrating that democratic voters in places like Hickory, North Carolina, which is where my girlfriend is originally from and her family, it lives in like, there are no, are you telling me there's no Democrats in this entire county? There's no way that's the case. Are you telling me there's no Democrats in this, in this town of 75,000 people? That's just not true. So it's, it's irritating to see Republicans win. And that's the thing, like, and you were talking about it earlier, some Republicans, there are sorts of Republicans who run and who make the Republican party worse with their zany comments and their wild actions that are not becoming of people who are running for office, but when they run, they run unopposed. So they're allowed to drag down the rest of their party. And oftentimes the party just passively accepts it because it makes them stronger. But it's interesting to see what's going on now with, it's interesting to see that there's a limit that, and I mentioned this before but I am I am going to talk about this more in future episodes, especially in the episode where we talk about that specific instance. But I'm extremely grateful to know that there is a limit. I'm just very saddened that the limit has to be something so despicable as what Moore has been accused of and almost certainly has done. I don't know if there's been any concrete evidence saying that he has actually done the things that he's been accused of. But honestly, this just sounds consistent with the character of at least some conservatives, and it's not just them. But it is something that they have no issue with when it comes to voting. And recent events in Alabama have made it clear that there are at least some people who don't care if you did it or not, and that's that's very depressing.
0: Yeah, uh, I think I I agree with you in. in- Everything you said, this whole situation uh, of Roy Moore, the Republican candidate in in Alabama, which actually also fits another profile of, like, the zaniest uh, candidate that uh, runs for office. Uh, For those of you who who, who don't know, Roy Moore has been accused by several women of either sexually assaulting them or harassing them when they were teenagers and he was in his thirties. Including apparently him being banned from going to a mall uh, because he was harassing teenage girls uh, in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, and I think it's kind of interesting in this sense, like, you know, it's certainly despicable, like, how the the defenses uh of this come like uh there was a a state official in Alabama who said that you know jesus um if if Mary, who was a teenager hadn't married uh, an older uh man named Joseph like we wouldn't have Jesus, which of course kind of kills the whole virgin birth thing out of Christianity, so I don't think that's the best argument for a
1: Christian to give i I feel the need to point out because I thought about writing that too. But as a historian, I'm just like, I, I feel the need to point out that there are plenty of Christians who don't believe that Mary was a virgin. Not only, not not even that she didn't stay a virgin like the rest of her life, but that she didn't give birth, that it wasn't a virgin birth. There are plenty of Christians who have no issue with that. Although to me, it seems kind of blasphemous because I was raised Catholic and it's like the virgin birth was a pretty big deal. Like the Immaculate Conception So to me, when I first heard that, like, the part of me that still sometimes thinks about, like, Christian theology, just, like, reacted to it. And it's like, this is is kind of blasphemous. It's not the biggest or most blasphemous thing anyone in the Republican Party has ever said or done. But it's up there.
0: Well, I think there were, you know, several centuries ago, people died for saying those things. Uh, So I, I don't think it's that not much of a deal. Uh, yeah. But in in terms of, you know, it's, it's interesting seeing that that divide uh, in the Republican Party, I mean, I think there has been, because Fox News and other conservative media are so very good at defining the agenda and the talking points uh, of leading conservatives in recent decades. I think there has, the, it, the, the divisions in the Republican Party hasn't been as apparent as the ones that there are in the Democratic Party. Uh, and I think one of the things that has happened in this Trump era is that those divisions have become more apparent uh, and have come up to the surface To the, you know, and I think especially like the more nationalistic uh, branch of the party coming into fight with the more business oriented branch uh, of the party. I think that that was one of the obvious divisions that you would see as a student of politics that was pretty reconciled uh, and didn't bubble as much up to these last couple of years. Um, and it's interesting to think, like, if the United States had a different party system that wasn't, like, a, you know, a two-major party system, like how people would uh, sort themselves, but right now, because only two parties can actually win elections, uh, a lot of what happens is that people align with figures that they don't necessarily agree with just because they don't want to hand the other party a victory. And I think that's one that's something that is happening in Alabama right now. It's it's that uh Republicans want more out uh but at the same time they don't want to give that sit to a Democrat. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people would probably hope that he wins, maybe gets it and then replaced by the governor uh, who is a Republican Then seeing him lose the election.
1: So what would happen, I don't know if you would know this, and we are going to devote an entire episode in the next couple of weeks to what's going on there specifically, but I am kind of curious. Do you know what would happen if he Like drops out right now, would he be replaced by another Republican or would it automatically go to the Democrat?
0: So apparently, I mean, the rules are different from state to state. But apparently the deadline for dropping, for replacing a candidate has passed. Mostly because the election is next month. So if he's replaced, I mean, he, he can't be replaced. So if he drops out, basically the election is between Uh, Doug Jones and Doug Jones. Uh, So Doug Jones essentially wins by default. Uh, What Republicans are thinking of doing is to write in Luther Strange, but essentially that will divide the Republican vote and give the victory to Doug Jones. So the question is whether you want him to lose, uh, which will essentially mean a a write-in campaign, to basically divide the vote or uh i think cory gardner from colorado said that they would vote to expel him from the or not allow him to take the oath if he were to win uh i'm not sure if they're willing to do that but if they're willing to do that it, if he wins it's technically a better situation for them because they look good and then the governor who's a republican can Name a replacement.
1: Hmm. All right. Well, that has been this week's episode of the Vinto Juarez Experience. But before we let you guys go, Joam and I have some questions that we want to ask you. Now that it has been a year since Trump became president-elect, how have you all been doing? How have you all felt? Have you guys had... The main question that I want to ask is, what do you guys think of the quote unquote resistance and also how are you all doing and what direction do you feel like the country is going?
0: I think my main question is how have you changed uh, in your politics? And that means either changing a little bit or a lot ideologically or even changing the way you engage in politics.
1: All right. Be sure to uh, be sure to like the podcast, share it. And of course, if you guys want to engage with us, answer the questions anywhere you find us on social media and review the podcast on iTunes.
0: This has been the Benito Juarez Experience with U.M. Navarro Rivera
1: and Luciano Joshua Gonzalez.